Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Tonight, uh, attached to your prayer sheet is uh, uh, just the, the, the information that I want to go over tonight. We've been looking at the creeds and confessions to help us summarize some of the most important uh, points of belief and faith theology. And as of late, I've been talking about uh, what we believe about the doctrine of Scripture, what we believe about uh, Scripture. And so what we're doing is we're using the Westminster Confession and the Second London Baptist Confession kind of as our springboards for discussion. And um, what we've kind of gone over so far, we've learned that Scripture, as it's contained in the 66 books of the Bible, that is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard and rule for practice and faith. There is nothing else. Um, And we believe that because only Scripture is the revealed Word of God. And since it's the revealed Word of God, it is the ultimate authority for everything that it touches upon. And it is inerrant, it is infallible, there are no errors, there are no contradictions, unlike what some people will try and say. But God has bestowed upon Scripture uh, authority. And so because it holds God's authority, all people are obligated to believe it and live according to it. Everyone everyone in the entire world is obligated to conform their lives to what it contains. Unfortunately, most people don't because they do not believe. Now, there are a lot of external and internal evidences, you know, apologetics that we could do to argue for uh, what we believe about Scripture you know, to prove, uh, give, give the evidences that we have about Scripture. But the Bible itself says that our, our assurance about the truthfulness of Scripture, about the reliability of Scripture, uh, actually doesn't come from all those evidences, but comes from the internal witness of the Holy Spirit um, within our hearts. Now, I, I've quite often said during this study that, you know, we, we say that Scripture is the sufficient Uh, authority. Now that doesn't mean that it touches like on every possible subject that there is in the world. You you can't use scripture as a textbook to learn about Spanish grammar or something like that. I guess unless you get a Spanish Bible and then if you try and translate it I guess or something like that but you know it's not there to teach you Spanish. However for the the subjects that uh, scripture does touch upon you're able to find what it says as truthful and uh, reliable. Now, the, the next paragraph of the uh, Baptist Confession that I want to look at, it's the sixth paragraph of that chapter. And uh, this is what it says about Scripture. It says, The whole counsel of God concerning everything essential for his own glory and man's salvation, faith, and life is either explicitly stated or by necessary inference contained in the Holy Scriptures. Nothing is ever to be added to the Scriptures, either by new revelation of the Spirit or by human traditions. Nevertheless, we acknowledge that the inward illumination of the Spirit of God is necessary for a saving understanding of what is revealed in the Word. We recognize that some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the Church are common to human actions and organizations and are are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian wisdom, following the general rules of the word, 
which must always be observed. So this paragraph tells us that, that everything that is essential for these particular subjects can be found in Scripture. For God to receive glory, why God deserves glory, how we can glorify God. You know, how, how a fallen, cursed world and people can glorify God. You know, and just the fact that it's required, I mean, he deserves it. That can only be found uh, in Scripture because, you know, you consider that God's, if we want to call it his direct relational presence, has kind of been withdrawn. God is everywhere, but because of mankind's sin, I mean, God does not reveal himself directly to mankind because of their sinfulness. And so he had to reveal himself through Scripture. This, this way, you know, the, the Bible tells us that, you know, he cannot be in the presence of sin. If he is, I mean, that would, the, the sinner would be just completely consumed by his holiness and, and glory. And, and so through Scripture, we can learn about God. We can learn about the fact that he deserves honor and glory from his creation and, and uh, how creation, even in its sinful state, can give him that glory. For example, the psalmist wrote in Psalmist 94, or 96, verses 4 through 9, For the Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. He is more awesome than all gods, for all the gods of the nations are worthless. But the Lord made the sky. Majestic splendor emanates from him. His sanctuary is firmly established and beautiful. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations, ascribe to the Lord splendor and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the splendor he deserves. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him. All the earth. I mean, here is this call for even though, you know, mankind is sinful, look, God is great. And even from sinful mankind, he deserves honor and glory and because he is beautiful. He, he is majestic. He is all-powerful. And he, he's just splendorous. And so, you know, it's a call uh, to that. He deserves glory because of these reasons. Here are ways that you can give him the glory that he deserves. Now, part of the reason that he deserves all this glory is because he paved the way for salvation. And Scripture gives the whole counsel of God with regard to everything that is necessary for mankind's salvation. You know, that's what the, the uh, paragraph, you know, says. Everything that is necessary for salvation is found in Scripture. The gospel is found in Scripture. So, for example, Scripture tells us the need for salvation. Because Romans 3.10 says that, you know, there is no one righteous, not even one. And the scripture tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and they come short of the glory of God. Everyone has a need for salvation. And then it tells us the means of salvation. Just as Paul and Silas told the, the, the prison guard in Philippi, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. If you're, you and your household believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. 
and you know, the, the, the apostles, when they were uh, addressing uh, the Sanhedrin, you know, they told them, look, there is salvation found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among man, woman, anyone, any people by which we must be saved. There is only one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, he gave his son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Jesus said, believe in me, and you will have eternal life. And so scripture tells us everything we need to know about salvation. We don't need to search for some sort of secret knowledge somewhere. This isn't a mystery religion where we got to unearth some things. Everything has been given directly as regards to salvation. Our paragraph that we're looking at also tells us that Scripture gives us everything that is essential for faith and life, life in the faith. It tells us what to believe, and it tells us how to live in light of what we believe. It tells us where our faith lies, and it tells us how we live because of where our faith lies. This paragraph notes, though, that, that some of the whole counsel of God, it explicitly states what we are to believe and what we are to act upon for salvation, faith, and life. Because the Bible makes things clear. There's some things that the Bible makes very clear. You can't miss it. It just lays it out there for us. So, for example, the virgin birth. The virgin birth is just put out there. It's not like you had to do, you know, with the New Testament. With the Old Testament, you may have had to do, you know, a little bit of digging. But with the New Testament, it's laid out there. You don't have to go searching very far to find the, the doctrine of the virgin birth because it's right there in Luke chapter 1 where, you know, you have Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 describes the, the interchange between Gabriel and Mary. And, you know, Mary acknowledges, I've never been with man. Gabriel says, well... The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and, you and will conceive the child within you. And then Luke 2 describes the birth. And then Matthew gives an account of the birth. And he too lays it out there that this is a virgin birth. For example, in Matthew 1.18, Matthew records, Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. While his mother was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so that's very explicit. You don't have to dig for that doctrine. The scripture is explicit in many ways about how we are to live. I mean, the Ten Commandments, they're just there. This is how you live. The Sermon on the Mount, it's just there. It's right there. It's very explicit. This is how you live. Now, we say that scripture has everything essential. The whole counsel of God has everything essential for faith and life and, and salvation. And there are some very explicit things there, but it also says, the paragraph also notes, though, that there are some things that aren't as explicit, but they come by necessary inference by what's contained in Holy Scriptures. There are things that are not immediately and directly spelled out for us. But when you study Scripture, 
and you read the Scripture, and you dig into Scripture, you can find the principles there. And you can infer God's truth and purpose from what you, you find and you read and you study. The principles are there. It may not say things directly, but when you put all the pieces together, there it is. So, for example, to, to look at it from a doctrinal standpoint, you will not find uh, one verse that says, you know, necessarily that says that God is triune. We could argue that the Great Commission, when we're told to baptize in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's kind of a, you know, there's the, tr there's the Trinity. Um, but there, there isn't a whole lot explicit that God is a Trinity, that God is triune. I mean, nowhere in Scripture does it say, okay, there's one nature and essence that is the Godhead, but there are three persons within that nature and essence. You know, and, and so because, you know, there's no explicit verse or even paragraph that says that, how do we know? How, did, how in the world did we come up with this concept of Trinity, that God is triune? How do we come up with this whole thing that God is one in nature and essence, but three in persons? That's his being. That's his existence. Well, we inferred it from what we find in Scripture. So, for example, we know that Scripture explicitly states that God is one. There is only one, one God. One. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Not many. Not a pantheon. There's one. Isaiah 44.6, this is what the Lord, Israel's king, says, their protector, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first, and I am the last. There is no God but me. One. God is one. Now, as we read Scripture, we see that it states that God the Father is God. Ephesians 4, 6, Paul talks about there being one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God the Father is God. There is one God. But we also understand that God the Son is God. Because the Apostle John testifies in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Net Bible, you know, makes it explicit. And the Word was fully God. The Word was with God in the beginning. And so, the Word is God. But also the Word is with God. How's that work out? And then, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. We look to the incident that happened with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, you know, when they, when, you know, the apostles made the call, you know, you, if you want to give to the church, to the people, do so. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they said, yeah, we'll do that. And they, they sold whatever it is that they sold, and they acted like they gave the entire thing over to the church 
but they kept some back. You know, all they had to do was, okay, here, we're giving half to the church and we're keeping half to ourselves. Everything would have been fine. But no, they made a big show about it that, oh, we sold some property and we're giving everything to the church. Yeah, that's not what they did, though. And so Peter confronts them. In verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 5, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land? Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was the money not at your disposal? How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Do you, do you see what's happening here? In, in verse 3, Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, he equated lying to the Holy Spirit as lying to God. So here we have verses that say there's one God. Then we have verses that say the Father is God. But then we have verses that say that the Son is God. And then we have verses that say the Holy Spirit is God. How do we reconcile that? There is one Godhead with one nature and essence. There's three persons. Now that's a, you know, the Trinity is a whole other story that we'll get to at another point. But you know, this is a demonstration that there's some things that aren't explicit, but they're there. And so there is, there, there, there's things that we believe because of necessary inference of what is found in Scripture. But not only does this have to do with doctrine and theology, we also look to Scriptures for principles that, to live by. I mean, there are principles to live by that are very explicit. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Of course, you know, those even, I guess, needed some expansion by Jesus and said, yeah, you know, you hate someone without a cause, that's murder. You look at someone lustfully, that's adultery. But there's a lot in life in that Scripture might not, if you want to say, personalizes toward us. I mean, I, I can't go to Scripture and find where my name is and where it says, Al, you have to make this decision this way. Now, to tell you the truth, I would love it if it would. It would make my life a whole lot easier. If there would just be the book of Al, where it, God just told me every decision to make and, you know, what to do, that would be a whole lot easier, but it doesn't. And so sometimes when there's these, these incidents of life or decisions that need to be made, I have to find the necessary inference. I find the principle that is found in Scripture and then apply the principle to whatever it is I'm looking for. You know, there's, there's, there, there's no, nothing in here to tell me who to marry, who, who, what business partnership I should become a part of, something like that. But it does tell me in 2 Corinthians 6.14 the net says, do not become partners with. Others might say, do not be unequally yoked with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? If I'm going to get into some sort of important partnership, be it business or otherwise, 
I need to consider that. And so, because this paragraph, and it's found in Scripture, that, that, that Scripture alone contains the whole counsel of God and it contains everything that is essential for these matters, the, the paragraph says nothing can be added to the Scriptures. You can't just start adding stuff to Scriptures. The canon is closed. There, there is no more revelation of God on par with Scripture. And so the, the paragraph says that nothing, nothing can be added by new revelation of the Spirit. No one can come along and say that the Spirit has given them a revelation that is on par with the canon of Scripture. I mean, I can't come along one day and say, you know what? God has inspired me to write the book of Al, and it's on par with Scripture. If you do that, you can, you can have me locked up and you know, sent away, padded cell and all that. That's not the way it works. But even just, you know, necessarily individual revelations, we have to be, you know, they're not on par with Scripture. Oh, I had a revelation. Yeah, well, okay, let's take this to Scripture. What does Scripture say? And, and because whatever we think the Spirit says, it has to go to Scripture, because Scripture is the final authority. You know, to say that, um, you know, for someone to say that a, a new revelation from the Spirit is on par with what Scripture says actually undermines the authority of the Bible. It, it denies the Bible's sufficiency. And so, Scripture is the authority and it's the filter through which we go through. You know, and it, it, it also, you know, the paragraph also says that, um, you know, that nothing can be added to it by, by a, a new revelation of the Spirit or by human traditions. You know, when we think of human traditions, well, when this was written, they were obviously thinking about the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church would say that, you know, any traditions that the Pope comes up with when he is sitting ex cathedra, which means on the throne, those are on par with Scripture. No, they're not. Whatever they come up with, whatever traditions they come up with, that is not on par with Scripture. You cannot compare the two. Scripture is the final authority. Now, you know, I was talking about the work of the Spirit, you know, and that the Spirit will not add anything that is on par with Scripture, but the Spirit actually does have an important work when it does come to Scripture because not only did the Holy Spirit uh, inspire the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God for us to understand it. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to understand everything, you know, the first time around that we read it. And it doesn't mean that, that we don't do diligent study. The Spirit uses our study, but that we, are, we do need the Spirit to help us make sense of that which is written. Because those who don't have the Spirit will not be able to fully understand unless, you know, the Spirit takes the Word and applies it and brings them to salvation. Because in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it, it says that the unbeliever does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him 
and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who, who don't have the Spirit cannot rightly understand God's Word. And, I mean, you'll notice that a lot of times when the enemies of God, that they will try and argue against Scripture, or they'll you know, try against, and argue against um, Christianity, and they try to use Scripture to do it, well, they take everything out of context. They just twist things all around because they don't have the Holy Spirit within them to give them that understanding. But, Paul says, we who have the Spirit, the Spirit brings understanding to us. In the, in the verses that came before what I just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, it tells us that the Spirit brings these things to our minds and this understanding to our minds. It says, just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ear heard or, or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed these to us by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of a man except the man's spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world. But the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. We have been given the Spirit so we can know. The Spirit who inspired the Scriptures is the same Spirit who illuminates the Scriptures so we're able to understand. Now the paragraph realizes there are things that the Bible doesn't touch on that just Christian wisdom would have to lead us, following you know, general rules of, of the Word. It doesn't give us an order of service for a worship service, but it does tell us that worship services are to be conducted properly and in good order. It doesn't tell us the exact form of church governance, but wisdom provided and guidance, I believe, leads to a congregational form of ecclesiology. So this is a very important paragraph about what we believe about Scripture and, and how Scripture is used by the Spirit. Some things are explicit. Some things you kind of have to dig for, but they're, they're there. And um, we, we live by that. To, one author summarized this paragraph this way. How then does the Bible act as sufficient for faith and life? The answer is that as we search the Scriptures to discover its teachings and learn it, its principles, and as we live in the Spirit, we have God's guidance leading us to fact to the fact of every decision with wisdom. The Spirit leads us through the written word, sovereignly helping us to discern truth and wisdom and apply the truth to specific issues in life. As we prayerfully seek to be filled with the Spirit and the word of God, we can live confidently in the guidance of God through the word. So that's what we want to do. We want to pray that we will be filled with the Spirit and the word of God so we can live confidently that we will be guided by God, through his word. And that our eyes would be opened to the truths that are found in here. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to put blinders on. We don't want to see what's in here. We don't want to see what it has to say about us or our certain situation. We would rather be blind or ignorant so we can do what we want. Sometimes we, we don't like what we read in Scripture because it goes against what we want. It goes against our, our thoughts, our beliefs, our opinions. 
but we're, we can't take scripture and try and mold it into what it is that we think and believe. We need to take what we think and believe and mold it to what scripture says and let it be our God. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.